0: Hello, everyone. Uh, Thanks for following Diplomacy Direct. Thanks for the response and the patronage everybody has shown for our initiative. Uh, We try and engage with the best individuals and forums who are striving to bring uh, solutions to our modern day issues. That's keeping our world progressing uh, at, at, at the full throttle. Uh, our current geopolitical issue at hand, on which we have discussed from different angles, uh, you know, is is actually regarding the Indo-Pacific instability, and contributing to it today, we have Colonel uh, R.S. Sidhu to give us a soldier's perspective via his uh, new book, uh, "Elephant on the High Himalayas." This book is. Uh, Actually available on the Amazon link, which is given below. Now, elephant on high Himalayas uh, provide a very unique insight into the changing discourse between Indo-Pacific geopolitics, especially uh, relations between India and China and all the parties that come into uh, the picture. And uh, here, uh, Colonel Sandhu has uh, Colonel Sidhu has um, uh, served with uh, the army for twenty nine years, and he's a decorated war veteran. And uh, he actually brings the story with right credentials and with the first hand experience backing uh, uh, his take on the subject. Uh, he is, uh, I can say he's the amateur uh, China watcher for the past three decades and um, again from a perspective that his academics have been into uh, politics, geopolitics uh, and history. He's, a, he's an MA from uh, Delhi University. Uh, he, uh, so basically um, his incisive uh, and predictive analysis on the event uh, and uh, the strategic matters uh, that he has published in uh, the Center for Joint uh, Warfare Studies journals and, uh, you know, Tri-Service magazine from uh, the Infantry School Mao or the Staff College Wellington. And uh, his previous book uh, actually... uh, uh, the success from being mad, which actually covered the real life stories from uh, ten mad veterans. He calls them karma yogis, um, uh, those who are from the forces and then ventured into the entrepreneurial streak. So uh, those who want to follow him can follow him on his blogspot that is uh, valleys and valor uh, at blogspot.com. So uh, so star for the day. Colonel uh, Rakesh Sidhu. Uh, welcome, sir.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Vipul. And uh, hope we have an interesting uh, distinct discussion wherein the audience also feels ki they have been able to put value on their time.
0: I have no doubt. <laughs> so coming right to it, uh, sir. So with the success of your previous book, like I uh, mentioned, uh, uh, which is also actually available on Amazon.com, Uh, that book was about the leadership choices of military veterans that has led to amazing social and entrepreneurial outcomes. And uh, your round two of penmanship here takes us to the geopolitics in the Indo-Pacific. So why so, why now, and what different perspective can a reader expect from this book uh, that, uh, you know, we all need to go and venture into it. And, you know, I need to know your first hand analysis about it. So over to you, sir. Oh,
1: thank you, Vikut. You see, as far as uh, uh, jumping over from uh, leadership forte and entrepreneurship by the veterans uh, onto a geopolitical sphere. Well, you see the events were such. History is going to look at what happened in May uh, 2020 and uh, subsequently between India and China on uh, in Northern Ladakh as the second most uh, defining movement mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the relations between the two countries, the first of course being the 1962 war and the way the actions took place, it has activated geopolitical forces the consequences of which are still unfolding in geopolitical and geostrategic uh, time and space. Correct. So that is the importance of what happened uh, last year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Over above that, that was a time when the Chinese intruded and uh, there was uh, marked lack of uh, briefings, official briefings from the government of the day, uh, this thing in uh, New Delhi the Chinese uh, propaganda machinery was in an overdrive. There was great concern in the environment as far as the citizens are concerned mm-hmm. as to what is transpiring. Mm-hmm. And again, because of the grip uh, propaganda which was uh, taking place, vested interests were coming out uh, with their own uh, interpretations of what was happening on the uh, borders in Nadal Ladakh. So, that was a time when some of the interested citizens who were aware mm-hmm. decided to enter the fray through the medium of uh, social media. Mm-hmm. And being a China watcher of 30 years uh, standing, I also decided to enter the fray. Mm-hmm. And over a period of uh, roughly around two weeks, I launched a social media campaign all on my own, wherein mm-hmm. I had to collect, collate and then disseminate the facts and actual facts. aim was to keep it short, keep it uh, simple, so that the layman is able to understand as to what is happening. And that was a big success uh, to a large extent within, within my social reach. Mm-hmm. I was able to assuage the concerns which the citizens were feeling as mm-hmm. to what is happening on the uh, borders. Mm-hmm. This also got me in touch with large number of uh, young, dynamic uh, professionals in mm-hmm. India
2: mm-hmm. who
1: are the ones who are active on social media, who got the interest of the country at heart, mm-hmm. and who are not willing to uh, who are not willing to miss their words to say what they feel is right and what the country should be doing. Absolutely. So once the immediate aftermath was over, I was approached by large number of these young professionals with whom I had come into contact and also my own uh, group that is the Silvers. Uh, We have been together for the last almost uh, 40 years now after our training in the Officers Training Academy in uh, 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 Chennai. So they wanted me to put this all down in writing and that is how this book decided to take shape. And mm-hmm. hence, I have decided, not decided, I have actually dedicated this book to these young professionals and to my course mates. We call ourselves, as with the norm of of Silver Warriors.
0: Silver Warriors. Now, wow.
1: as far as the uh, uh, perspective is concerned, ki, what is the perspective that I am bringing in which the others have not? Well, it is a very holistic perspective that I have got in. It is Mm -hmm. not got anything to do only with whatever has been happening on the military front or on the diplomatic front. But it's a complete uh, gamut of the entire relationship which is being looked at afresh. Mm -hmm. So when we are saying that, uh, uh, what should I say, Uh, that uh, what is it fresh? You look at the title, the title says it all. Mm
2: -hmm. It
1: is Mm -hmm. Elephant on the High Himalayas. At what point of time did the elephant come down from the Himalayas? And at what point of time is the elephant back onto the Himalayas? And what is it? It is resurrecting Bharat to face off China, Mm
2: -hmm. which
1: also indicates that just strengthening the military aspects or strengthening the diplomatic aspects or just strengthening the international relations, that is not what is going to happen. It is an all-out war between India and China, which is taking place in the hidden spectrum. So for that, we have to pull ourselves up. The society has to change. The individual has to change. And they have to force the government in power to change. So this entire facet is very beautifully covered just in the title itself. Now, when we are looking at the perspectives, whatever it is, That it was here in the year uh, 1952 when the Chinese, uh, this thing came into Tibet. We voluntarily gave, we had some armed posts, which were uh, this thing deployed in Tibet. We were looking after their entire telegraph and post communication infrastructure. Mm -hmm. The entire logistics for the first winters for the Chinese troops, which were garrisoned in Tibet. They went through India Nepal, we voluntarily stepped down from the Himalayas. So, this is one aspect. The second aspect is that when the first defining movement, which is the 1962 war, which uh, came about, it created a shock and awe on the minds of our, uh, our policy makers in South Block.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As a result of which, For more than half a decade, we were following a very accommodative policy towards the northern borders uh, uh, with with China. All that changed. And this change has not come about because the government of the wanted it. This change was forced by the social media activism of the young professionals and the citizens. Overnight, the government policy was changed. And thereafter, the results are there for all to see. The military, which was all throughout, kept out of the government, uh, organizations in the center, has now been brought into uh, the front face. Mm -hmm. And the results are there for all to see. 65 war, 71 war, whatever the forces on the field were battered away during the diplomatic uh, resolutions of those uh, conflicts, what mm-hmm. did we get? 11 uh, distinct uh, commanders level meetings have taken place. Mm-hmm. The military is leading the talks and we are seeing the impact. We have not given away anything. Now, to look at it from the Chinese aspects also, one has to see key. Is the Chinese are the Chinese leadership really crazy? I said no, they are not crazy. They are one of the most uh, professional and nationalistic leadership which can be seen anywhere around, and it's a totalitarian society.
0: Yeah, they are they are well studied in the big power politics uh, definitely, and they have yes. been learning from the bigger powers right since the you know right since the uh, Mao era, then to the Deng Xiaoping era, and you know, so yes, so. Uh, so summing it up, uh, uh, you see on... there
1: is just one point which I want to say sure. as far as the China is concerned. Mm-hmm. That we have to see what is it that the are the core interests of China. The core interest of China is the economy as on day. And to fuel that economy, they require energy. Energy has to come from outside the country, and that is where the crux of the matter lies there are two key aspects. One is the safety and security of their uh, maritime uh, shipping uh, lifeline Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. which uh, their entire energy resource has to be brought in. And second is the safety of their core. Now, it is very interesting to see here that the political core of China and Mm -hmm. the economic core of China is Mm -hmm. all along the eastern coastline. And to defend that core, they Sir, are carrying out their activities in the maritime regions of the South China Sea and the East China Sea, and from there is emerging the key uh, issues of uh, conflicts with the US and with the 11 other maritime neighbors which they
0: So we'll come to that point because I I exactly have a question on Quad where you can you know cover all this. Okay. Okay. Fine. Uh, so. Uh, basically coming back to the book, I find two aspects of the book um, uh, very intriguing, right. So first is that for an analytical book on geopolitical and strategic affairs, it starts with a fictional narrative. Uh, so one is, can you cover the fiction in brief? Second is, Uh, you're substituting the name Bharat for India. So what does that actually signify?
1: You know, I'm glad that you brought up these two subjects because they are the key to this book. Uh This book has got a disruptive reasoning. As the traditional responses which are there against the Chinese, they are not going to pay dividends. Mm -hmm. The first aspect is, which we have to understand that China acts and thinks differently.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Chinese want to win the war without having to enter into a decisive battle. Towards that end, their basic issue is to carry out all of the power which the Chinese can wield or which they can bring about to bear on the battlefield and on their opponents.
0: Correct. So the shock on we, all that, that you spoke about some time back. Correct.
1: Y- yes. So when we look at that aspect, we have to say that the Chinese too are vulnerable. Firstly, mm-hmm. if they are saying that they have got X amount of power,
2: mm-hmm. please
1: be assured that it is only X minus Y, which is the inflated power with their infamous propaganda machinery is always uh, churning out. So when we are able to understand the vulnerabilities of the Chinese and the allies of the Chinese when they Mm -hmm. talk of a two-front war threat against uh, India, we have to accept that if we go and challenge those vulnerabilities, then there is no issue as far as combating them in a short and swift battle is concerned. If so, I were to uh-huh. sum it up in one sentence, I would uh-huh. say that the strategic vulnerabilities of a nation are the natural targets for an opponent. Uh-huh. So when I was looking at this aspect, I said ki I have to put in a scenario wherein we can afford to come out victorious in a short and sharp, sharp conflict, provided mm-hmm. it is programmed accordingly. And this is a scenario which I have put into the book in which the government of the day decides that we have to nip the two front war threat of China and Pakistan in the bud itself, and then how they go about doing it.
2: Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. is
1: a secret parlays which take place behind the screen diplomacy, the script is crafted thereafter the distinct, uh, uh, some uh, interested nations, their Air Force is invited to carry out a large scale aircraft, uh, uh, air exercise along mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. Indian Air Force. Simultaneously, there are two maritime exercises going on. One is uh, amphibious with the US and the Allied navies off the coast of Makran. And mm-hmm. there is another one, which is a maritime exercise uh, between either uh, Japan, Uh, Australia, US, India, and uh, the Philippines, etc., the navies, which is carrying on in the South China Sea. Mm -hmm. So, as and when the situation develops, the inputs are given out through secondary and uh, third and primary sources that India is planning a repost. And when India is planning a repost, obviously it is going to ring alarm bells so the whole focus, it is so played out that the whole focus shifts to a naval repost, that is an amphibious repost by the flotilla of the allied nations and the India, which is off the coast of Makran, mm-hmm. thereby diverting the attention of Pakistan and China towards that end. Mm-hmm. When the situation unfolds, there is a simultaneous situation which unfolds that the threat in being of the Makran coast remains as a threat in being. Mm -hmm. The amphibious exercise in the South China Sea goes into occupation of one of the unoccupied islands inside the nine-dash line which the Chinese have uh, established in the South China Sea
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, by the Philippines and the uh, uh, Vietnamese with the task force adjusting there to provide them uh, cover. And this is the time when all the focus is placed here, that the Indian Air Force concentrates itself in the northern region and carries out a devastating strike in JNK, in hmm. POJK, I would call it, the Pakistan-occupied Jammu and Kashmir. Uh-huh. There were very determined reports that the Chinese have also stationed there, uh, this thing, air assets there, so and so forth. Mm-hmm. There were certain uncovered Technological advances which had not been put into the open, which were employed as, as a result of which the entire command and communication system
2: mm-hmm.
1: in POJK and along northern Ladakh was uh, compromised as far as the opponents were concerned.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The wanted Chinese firewall was breached. Their famous Beto navigation satellite system was also went off the blink as far as the communications were concerned. And under this overall electronic and cyberspace, this uh, thing deployment of top secret resources, the strikes are carried out throughout the night. And it is termed as Kal Ratri. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Now,
1: this Kal Ratri is also very interesting that how the name Kal comes up. The mm-hmm. Kal Ratri, as far as uh, the Bharat and the ancient text is concerned
2: mm-hmm. kal is time correct
1: and ratri is uh, the darkness that yeah. in the and kal is also death correct so the retribution is there just uh, all throughout POJK, all the air assets both of the chinese and these uh, the pakistanis they are neutralized because the air force was able to concentrate itself
2: Mm-hmm. By the
1: cover which was provided in the best of in the rest of India mm-hmm. by the Allied air forces, which were presumably there for uh, an air exercise. Now, this is a daunting force. There were six nations which were participating. There were six foreign squadrons six assets of air for uh, uh, yeah, electronic warfare assets which were brought in, mm-hmm. which are not mm-hmm. discussed. There were other. Uh, uh, yeah, this, uh, yeah this directed energy weapons which were employed. So it was a high-tech strike which was uh, conducted. there. It was so stage-managed as far as diplomacy is concerned that the Chinese could not intervene. Mm-hmm. Chinese were also uh, this thing uh, called into parlays by the Russians. The US were involved. The Israelis were involved, mm-hmm. and there was a tremendous amount of pressure. The IMF and the other international funding agencies were involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a threat of cutting off all the economic aid as far as Pakistan was concerned. The Pakistani generals realized that they cannot hold on to the coattails of China as far as confronting India is concerned.
0: So, uh, very, very beautifully summed, and you know, so the vastness of the whole, you know, when when you talk about one issue, it, it covers the entire geopolitical scenario in such a way. So, sir, I I really appreciate you covering the whole thing. And this this is what Diplomacy Direct brings to the followers and viewers because most of our followers and viewers are the ones, those who are enthusiasts from the uh, IR and uh, so international relations and international affairs fraternity. And basically, uh, uh, those students, those who are interested in... Uh, you know, joining the union public service. So, you know, th- this this is where the matter comes. So very fantastic. And, yeah, you know, in short, in in, in one sentence, if I want to sum what you said about all, everybody getting together and uh, you know, countering uh, the Chinese uh, forces, is that if it bleeds, it can be killed. Right? So true. <laughs> Okay, so uh, with so, so China, so with uh, slicing its way into other territories and being aggressive on its expansionism, what is your take on this current reckless Chinese foreign policy, the the, the expansionist policy? Okay,
1: so, you see, one way of saying it is that the Chinese are reckless, which a normal uh, analyzed or a person who's interested, a layman, would be saying. The other is that there is a method behind the madness. Mm -hmm. There are two spectrums of uh, policies as far as geostrategic policies are concerned. I mean, I'll just digress so that I can bring across the point uh, to the vaster audience also. Mm -hmm. One is the Chinese model, and the other is the Israeli model. Mm -hmm. The Chinese model is focused on expanding their power exponentially, primarily with a view to overcome that, to carry out an overwhelming uh, import on the psyche of the opponents.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for that, to that extent, whatever are their capabilities and their resources, they are going to expand them enormously, mm-hmm. because that is how they uh, intend to impress the psyche of the public at large. The Israelis, on the other hand, will not talk about their uh, resources and their capabilities. They will keep quiet about them. They will keep it undercover Mm -hmm. so that the opponent is always guessing what is the strike capability of the Israelis. So at the moment of crisis, when those technologies are uncovered, they catch the opponent by surprise. It is a force multiplier, which is utilized by them. Now, when we look at China and the US, again, there is very marked similarity also between the two. Mm -hmm. These two nations will never enter a battlefield, at least in the last 40 years, you will be able to see it, unless they are assured of victory. They will look at either an opponent which they can intimidate through the sheer quantum of force which is employed against it, or they will organize a coalition, ensure that the target is softened enough, and then enter the battlefield. That is what the Chinese are also looking at. So when we say that China is going to get involved into a war with the US in the South China Sea, or the U.S. will get involved in a war with China in the South China Sea, it is not going to happen. As far as the U.S. is concerned, it is to be understood that logistics in any combat field play a major role. To organize a logistics for invading the Chinese mainland is not within the capabilities of the... American armed forces as on date, nor is it within the capability of the Chinese to carry out any offensive conduct beyond their immediate coastline in the maritime areas. Even though as on date, the Chinese claim that they have got the largest Navy in the world, the actual combat potential of that Navy is not even adequate for them to carry out a sea denial exercise in the Indian Ocean or in the Pacific Ocean. Their strength as on day is just focused towards the East China Sea and the South China Sea regions. Mm-hmm. So when we say that the Chinese are crazy, that you have uh, the Americans breathing down their neck in South China Sea, you have the Japanese who are rearming you have the Australians who have come out from the death, almost literally like a death embrace of the Chinese. Uh, yeah, just as far as the government was concerned, they are also uh, just antagonizing India by carrying out uh, incursions uh, along the south, on the southwestern borders. They have got a economic situation which is not going very well. They have got issues of human rights as in their uh, outlying uh, provinces. Mm -hmm. So why are they crazy enough to do so? No, it is not being crazy. It is just ensuring that they find that as on date, the weakest link between the Eastern uh, seaboard actions and the Southwestern is India. India is a potential threat to their uh, current uh, policy of trying to access land lines of communication for their energy resources from West Asia. Mm -hmm. Whereas the US and India and Japan combined together are sitting on their maritime lines of communication. So what they hoped was to carry out a sharp and short action to caution India and to ensure that there is no war.
0: Correct. Sir, so uh, you actually covered ensure the...
1: that the port does not become a military justing front. They wanted to move India out from there.
0: So, how how far you know you foresee the future India-China relations with the U.S. intervening, uh, the court formation, and everything. So, actually, like. Uh, you know you explained that there have been a ten round uh, field force command level talks between these countries and everything. So wh- where do you think it's heading? You see, as far as the overall
1: geostrategic situation in the Indo-Pacific region or Asia is concerned, mm-hmm. we can uh, break it up into three parts that is the East Asia, the South Asia, and the West Asia. -hmm. In East Asia, the confrontation is taking place between China and its uh, maritime neighbors, that is, uh, Korea, Taiwan, Japan, and the ASEAN nations, including uh, Vietnam, Vietnam, Philippines, Philippines. Indonesia, yeah. And the US is coming in in support of these uh, uh, the ASEAN nations and Japan and Formosa. In South Asia, it is a China-Pakistan combined which is facing off against India. Mm -hmm. The US here is again fully backing at the Indian uh, position. In West Asia, there is a conflict which is taking place between the Sunni-led Saudi Arabian alliance and the Iran-led Shia alliance. Mm -hmm. The Chinese interest is to secure landlines of Communication into the energy rich areas of West Asia, which can only take place with the active support of Iran, it is coming in there. Mm -hmm. The US has got, uh, uh, is providing full backing along with Israel to the Saudi Arabian led uh, Sunni alliance. So, overall, which you see that the, whereas the China is a common factor in all the three uh, distinct regions, here, it is U.S. which is playing the pivotal role. So mm-hmm. willy-nilly, the leadership of the anti-China alliance falls on the U.S. Now, U.S. has got its own stakes to ensure, that is their own national stakes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The U.S. national stake is to cut off China from being a competitor to them on the geopolitical stage. Mm-hmm. And what is the soft belly of China for that? It is economy and their commerce.
0: So so would so you go while, ahead and call the Quad and the D10 an anti-China force?
1: Yes. While, while the militarily the focus is to ensure that whatever creeping annexations China has done up till now, mm-hmm. it is not able to go beyond that. So the Americans are carrying out the phone ops, that is the freedom of navigation operations in the South China Sea, and off the western coast of Japan, and in the East China Sea of the western coast of uh, uh, Taiwan. This is basically to deter the Chinese from any military adventurism beyond the line which they have already established in these regions. But the actual war is being fought on the economic front. The aim is to squeeze the Chinese economy.
2: Mm-hmm. You have
1: to look at it from this aspect that As far as China is concerned, a totalitarian state, the Communist Party is the same as China as far as the national interest of the government is concerned. For the Chinese Communist Party to remain in power, they have to ensure two aspects. One Mm -hmm. is that economically, the citizens are able to live well. Mm -hmm. The second is that the army, that is the military, the PLA, remains under the control. Mm -hmm. So, the PLA actually is also defending the nation and also defending the government from its own citizens also. Political control over the PLA holds primacy over Mm -hmm. professionalism. Hence, that is one of the key aspects when you discern the actions which were taken by the PLA at Galwan Valley and in So that... They had planned it over a period of a year. They employed the best possible troops which they had. Mm-hmm. They brought in the best possible leaders which they had. Mm-hmm. They chose the terrain and time of their own choosing. So with the best military leadership, with the best military forces placed and time of their own choosing, the best of China were bested by India on the military battlefield.
0: So basically, with the formation of the, so what what you covered right now was with the formation of the trade blocks to create actual economic pressure, and then on the other hand, diplomacy that was trying to move mountains, this is the role that actual military leadership with its strategic, uh, you know, placement, uh, try and stabilize or destabilize or escalate or inescalate, you know, given... Uh, To to balance of the economic and the diplomatic pressure. So, uh, sir, as a summation of our conversation today, right? uh, With what angle do you think the book brings freshness uh, from a current situational point of view?
1: Yes, so the aspect is that as far as the leadership is concerned, as far as India is concerned, I say it is a full fledged war. Mm -hmm. The comprehensive national power of India is being challenged by the comprehensive national power which is at the disposal of China. The battle is already on, apart as far as the military field is concerned, there is a standoff, there is a negotiated. uh, uh withdrawal which has taken place in a limited period in a limited uh, geographical area at the mm-hmm. others the forces are still in an eyeball uh, uh, to eyeball distinct uh, positions on the ground but the actual battle which is going on is in the cyberspace space technology internal situation internal security situation in these fields
2: mm-hmm. and
1: this is, where we have to pull ourselves up. So when we have to pull ourselves up, we have to pull ourselves up first as the citizens. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We have to pull ourselves up second as a society. And then we have to ensure that the country overall pulls it up Mm -hmm. and ensures that the comprehensive national power which Mm -hmm. is available at the disposal of the the country Mm -hmm. is enormously increased. Here again, there is a dichotomy, which I would like to say, give uh, highlight. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. 2019, in February, when the budget was passed by the present government of the day in mm-hmm. the parliament,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there, there was a statement of the finance, finance minister that by 2025, we mm-hmm. want to project the economy of India, as a $5 uh, 5 trillion economy by 2025. To increase the economy to 5 trillion in such a short time frame dictates that we as a nation have to make extensions into the markets of Central Asia Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and into the other world markets and East Asia. Mm -hmm. And these are all the areas where there is a conflict with China and with the other market forces which are there. These are all unstable reasons. Mm -hmm. For us to be able to perform trade activities and commerce activities in these areas, our military power, our combat power has to Mm -hmm. be commensurate. Correct. The government also simultaneously uh, announced the creation of the appointment of the CDS and for carrying out a strategic overhaul of the defense architecture of India. Mm-hmm. So the two actually implied a political willingness to first state that this is what we want as far as economy is concerned. Mm-hmm. And secondly, to state that we are going to develop our combat potential and our comprehensive national power to ensure that our trade is safely carried out in these uh, additional markets that we are going to explore. Unfortunately, on the ground, there is a mismatch between the intent stated by the government and the practical applications,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which is that the budgeting of the defense is not commensurate for meeting this uh, requirement. So this mismatch, which is there between the intentions and the power space on the ground mm-hmm. creates a dichotomy in the minds of the opponents.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The Chinese are not one who are not going to uh, distinct take it lying down. If India is going to upgrade its defense architecture, if India is going to expand into the traditional areas which the Chinese feel are their market, then it needs to nip the security challenge of India before India becomes too powerful mm-hmm. to be counteracted against. Okay. So, if this has to take place, we have to ensure that the comprehensive national power is developed commensurately with the expansions of our market. Because if we have to follow what is happening in the geostrategic and the geopolitical spheres tomorrow, then the best way to follow that is and to predict it is by following the trade and the commerce activities and the economic activities. Economy is a key criticality as far as China is concerned. Mm -hmm. China has got an issue. Mm -hmm. It is their private sector, which has brought up the Chinese economy and the Chinese technology, where it thinks that it can uh, 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 stand up against the US as far as the global space is concerned. Mm -hmm. The criticality is that as on date, 60% of the Chinese economy share is of the private sector of China Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and 80% of the workforce of China, that is the industrial workforce, is employed by the private sector. As the economy expands and as the private sector expands, Mm
2: -hmm. it
1: is likely to go beyond the control, manageable control of the Chinese political hierarchy. So there is an attempt to clip the private sector and nip it in the bud. What is happening to Jack Ma and Mm -hmm. a couple of other uh, economic giants of uh, China in the private sector is just a little bit what is uh, uh, being seen outside that the internal struggle which is taking place in China.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: If they are able to control the private sector, Then it is going to have an adverse impact. Mm -hmm. Five years back, they attempted it. There was a slowdown in the economy of China, and Mm -hmm. perforce they had to let the private sector go. Mm -hmm.
2: Again,
1: blue. Now, what is happening that with Xi Jinping having been uh, anointing himself as the president for life, which is, it has brought him into conflict with the ideologues of the Chinese Communist Party. Correct. who are now confronting him with the political space and the economic space which is being captured by the uh, private sector and the consequential threat to the dominance of the Chinese Communist Party. So this key nuance has to be understood.
0: Okay, so so as, as, as a summing up, so uh, if I ask you three major points that the book will interest the youngsters, what are the three major points that, uh, or the takeaways that they will get from uh, the narration in the book?
1: You see, the first is that China has got its own vulnerabilities and weaknesses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As far as the deployability of forces is concerned, we have got parity along our northern borders. Mm -hmm. As far as the maritime areas are concerned, because of the greater combat potential and the combat experience and the deployment experience of the Navy is concerned, plus our key location, we are capable of holding our own against the Palestine, uh, against the uh, People's Liberation Army Navy. Mm -hmm. This is as far as the military front is concerned. Mm -hmm. As far as the economic front is concerned, again, as on date, our economy is very, very weak, Mm -hmm. but the combination of efforts and the aid as far as technology and the allied infrastructure of shifting of industries from China to India and and so-and-so forth is concerned, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: the future is more favorable to India than to China. Okay. The third aspect is that is the third takeaway that when we as citizens are able to upgrade ourselves and are able to understand what the comprehensive national power is all about, mm-hmm. and we ensure that the reforms are undertaken in a mature way rather than in piecemeal fashions, then I have got no doubts that by 2030, China will not be able to look at us even in a standalone mode that they will be able to beat us comprehensively in any aspect, whether it is the cyberspace or it is space or it is the IT infrastructure and so on and so forth. So the future is rosy for us.
0: Okay. So basically putting everything together is that China's aggressive expansionism, its multilateral uh, pressure over its own uh, population, its own um, uh, uh, economic sector, its, its, its own, uh, 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 you know, political or geopolitical or foreign affairs is actually uh, in 10 years, you say that it's, it's, it's going to create an implosive effect. And you know,
1: uh, if, if I may intervene for a second, yes, you know, I'll just use a political phrase. Uh
0: huh.
1: Uh, the colloquial phrase is Kabar ki Khabar murda hi janta hai.
0: <laughs> Very well said.
1: The Chinese hierarchy knows very well, yeah. Propaganda apart, what are the inherent weaknesses within China? Yes. So its actions are actually reflective of its own fears.
0: Yeah. Correct. So actually, the CCP is going to be, uh, you know, uh, instrumental in its own implosion. Okay, sir, thank you so much for uh, your time, the insights and uh, elephant on the high Himalayas is the next uh, thing to be seen. uh, The next uh, you know, book on its rise. And I would uh, urge all the viewers and followers to have a look at this book on uh, Amazon, and you got to have uh, this copy. So thank you very much, sir. Uh, Thanks uh, for uh, gracing uh, being on uh, uh, Diplomacy Direct and i i would surely come back to you to invite you for some other discussions with uh, other stalwarts uh, um, as as like you so thank you very much for your time today thank you vipul and
1: thanks to the audience for patiently going through the interaction